Well, I don't know if I'm going to preach today, but I will teach. And as I teach, sometimes I get excited and it looks like preaching. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. But uh, I think uh, it's always interesting, the journey that God takes me on to um, let me know what he wants me to teach on or preach on. And I find it interesting that um, we've been learning, several of us have been learning from Paul, Paul's writings. And in particular, God has been leading us to the prison epistles, those letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And I recall how Brother Marcellus broke it down so adroitly uh, the, the fact that, you know, he wrote these things from prison. He was nearing his likely, likely the end of his life and how that's so poignant and how it must have influenced the tone and maybe even the content of his writings. So a prison epistle is not like a normal epistle. The person writing it is confined. And so there can be even more intensity to reach the person that you can reach in no other way. And so while we might imagine that his, his, his imprisonment might have influenced the epistles themselves, both in tone and maybe even in content, there are other things that influence Paul's writings as he wrote them in prison. We want to emphasize today, we want to talk a little bit about, well, why did he end up in prison? And even more importantly, he was influenced. His perspective, his outlook, and maybe even some of the content were influenced by how he got to prison. Do you know how he got to prison? Do you know why he ended up in prison? We're going to learn about that today. Amen? Amen. His prison experience absolutely was significant. It's important to distinguish from those that were not prison epistles, especially the very last ones. So today we're going to learn from Paul's journey to Rome. Will you go there with me? Amen. amen, amen. Our text will be found in Pastor Trina's favorite book, or maybe her second favorite book. I don't know which one she likes the most, Leviticus or Acts. <laughs> Those are her favorite books. And in order to understand Paul's journey, you've got to go to the book of Acts, chapter 27. And our text will be found in verses 9 through 32, and no, we won't cover each and every verse. But this is where you will find Paul's journey to Rome. And I'll tell you what's so interesting and ironic. This book only has 28 chapters. And this journey... To Rome is made, you'll find it in verses, uh, chapters 27 and 28. And, and the end of 28, Rome, he, he lands in Rome. And you, and you see them talking about his two-year imprisonment without talking about the details of it. You guys all know the writings that he did in, during those two years. But what's ironic is at the end of the book of Acts, he's in Rome and he's in prison for two years. And then the next book of the Bible is the book of Romans. <laughs> so it goes all the way back to when he was sitting there in Corinth writing to the Romans that, that he, because he wanted to get there. But the book just before it is where he actually gets to Rome. So what does that tell you about the Bible? At least the New Testament is not chronological, okay? So while you read all these wonderful letters that he wrote both in prison and not in prison there's so much that you do not know because you haven't studied the book of acts there's so much that you have no idea what he was going through you just know the little bit that he tells you about his apostleship being threatened about certain things that happened but there's so much color it's like watching basketball and only having a technical commentator and no color Nobody that really knows basketball. It's, there's so much there. And one day, if you haven't already, we're going to have you study the book of Acts so you can see, oh, now I know what he was really thinking. Now I, I had no idea he had gone through that. Now I hear him differently. You all know I grew up in South Central. You know some of the stuff I went through. 
So there's some things I could say that you'll hear differently than if you thought I was born in a silver spoon in my mouth. But once you understand what he was going through, and actually you can line up certain chapters of the Bible in the book of Acts to the book that he wrote. And so the books that you've been studying that you learn about that, that he wrote during his first imprisonment matches up with this period of time right here that we're going to study about. Amen? Amen. So after Paul's third missionary journey, he went to where? Do we know where he went? See, if you read the book of Acts, you would know. <laughs> he went to Jerusalem. And actually, if you notice bits and pieces, see, if you're reading the prison epistles, then you're not going to hear anything about his trip to Jerusalem because they came after his trip to Jerusalem. So after he did his third missionary journey and he went on over there to Ephesus and finally decided he had a chance to spend time there and he wanted to hang there for a bit. So he sent the brothers on to Macedonia. Or actually, it might have been the other way around. He said, I got to go to Macedonia. So you hold this down, <laughs> Timothy. After all that, he says, I got to get to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's been gathering money to, so that he could take it to the saints in Jerusalem because there was a famine there. And he had made a vow, a Nazarite type vow that he wanted to fulfill there. So this is why on his last, on his third missionary journey, he swooped by, he was going to swing by Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, but he didn't have time to go there. So all the elders came to Miletus to meet him there. And so he talked to them, gave his little benediction, and moved on to Jerusalem. Now he went there with an open heart, a full heart, loving and caring for the saints there. But unfortunately, the hatred from the Jews was waiting for him there. And they had some trumped up charges against him. And they wanted him just like Jesus. They wanted his life. They wanted to kill him. And so what he did is he used his, his, his Roman citizenship to basically allow himself to be arrested so that he could appeal to Caesar, which was his citizen's right. And that's how he was able to stay out of the hands of the Jews. And they had basically a trial and the one leader said oh you know what I don't see any cause to kill this man you take it King Agrippa <laughs> you talk you, you 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 take the case let's send it to a higher court because I don't see any reason King Agrippa says you almost convinced me to be a Christian and if you hadn't asked to go to Augustus you might you know to, to Caesar you might have been let go because I see nothing wrong just like Jesus the Jews wanted him killed, and the Romans said, we see no reason for it. But he had appealed to Caesar. And so that's why he needed to be sent to Rome. Now, as a prisoner, this was not concierge treatment. He was not on first class. He is a prisoner in bonds. But it gave him an opportunity to minister to many elevated people. Amen? Amen. So these Jews wanted him dead, but that wasn't going to happen. So now Paul is in bonds, and he is being put on a ship on his way to Italy, Rome, Italy. Amen? Amen. He's a prisoner. There's nothing fun about it. And he's being overseen, not by just some cop. He's being overseen by a centurion. A centurion is a man who had charge over 100 soldiers. And his name is Julius. And so he's in charge of Paul. And they didn't have planes in those days. And they didn't have luxury liners either. If you wanted to travel from one place to another and it had to be overseas, you had to get on a cargo ship. So it wasn't anything fancy about it. And in his case, even worse, he was a prisoner under lock and key. Amen? Amen. Now, as we talk about this trip. Again, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 27. It started out actually all right. They actually went out into the waters and they came into one of the ports and they gave him, you know, a little bit of freedom. It was nice. It started out nice. They're on their way to Rome. But then things didn't go so well. The winds were not cooperating. 
And so they didn't actually take the route that they originally planned. And the ship went slower than they planned. So it took up a lot of what? Time. Amen? Amen. So they deviated their route and they went really, really slow. So they were not making the progress that one would hope to make. That is all the backdrop to our text. And so we go to chapter 27, and we're going to pick it up at verse 9. Remember, Paul is a what? A prisoner. And he is on a what? On a what? A cargo ship. That's right. And he's being overseen and held by who? Julius the Centurion, absolutely right. And the, sh and the trip has gone how now so far? Slowly, with detours, not according to plan. And by the way, they've actually made a stop, and they've gotten onto a second ship from Alexandria. Alexandria is where? Egypt. Egypt was the center of commerce, amen? So there's a ship on its way up to Rome, and they hitchhiked on it, basically, in order to get there. This is how things worked at the time. Now let's look at verse 9. Read it for me. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because of the fast was now already past, Paul reminded Okay, so now, who is Paul right now? He's a prisoner. Okay, he's in bonds. He's not the boss. <laughs> He's nobody. But they make a point here to say, now when much time was spent, in other words, things are going slowly. A lot of time is going by. And Paul is warning them of the danger with sailing at this time. It says, because the fast was now already passed. The fast that he's talking about is the Day of Atonement. He's talking about Yom Kippur. And that particular year, it was on September 24th. So it's already passed. So at that point, what's coming? What's on its way? Winter is coming. Winter is coming. So the point here is that at that time, when you get past it, here's how they knew. You know what? You can sail. Everything will be fine. But when Yom Kippur comes, you got a few days. And if you're traveling after that, you're in deep trouble. So this is what he's saying here in, in verse 9. It says, much time had passed, and when sailing was now dangerous. How do we know it's dangerous? Because it's past Yom Kippur. It's past the fast. It's past the Day of Atonement. If you go, after you go about a week after that, you're in deep trouble. And so that's why he was emboldened to say, hey, I need to warn you. And we get the warning here in verse 10. Read that for me. Amen, amen, amen. So lading just means the cargo. So he's a prisoner. He's nobody. And yet he's so convinced he tells all of these people, and he's really talking to the centurion. Let me tell you why. Because the centurion has the power to tell them, hey, this ship ain't going nowhere. I'm a soldier. I know it ain't my ship, but guess what? It ain't going nowhere. And so he's trying to let them know that not only will the ship be lost, not only will the cargo be lost, but you're going to lose every life on this ship. In other words, he is foreseeing and he is declaring complete and utter devastation. So now, if you were on that ship, if you were the centurion or you're the owner of the ship or the pilot of the ship, and you heard this little, this little runt guy, because he wasn't some big, big guy, and he's a prisoner, he's in bonds, and he says, hey, man, you know what? This is not a good thing to do. We found ourselves a little port. It ain't so great, but we really need to stay right about here because it's not good to move on. What would you do? Would you listen to him? Little runt prisoner guy? 
crazy man that believes all these weird things that we have never heard of, what would you do? Would you listen? Probably not. <laughs> Amen. Let's look at verse 12. I'll read it. And because the haven, in other words, like a port, was not commodious, it was not comfortable. Listen to me now. They found a place. They are ready to launch out to another place. And one of the main reasons was they weren't getting to Rome, by the way, anytime soon. There was going to be a winter between them and Rome. But they didn't like sitting in the port that they were in because it was exposed during the winter to the elements. They didn't have protection. It wasn't going to be comfortable for their flesh. And so it says, and because the haven was not commodious in the winter to winter in, the more part, meaning the majority, the mob, advised to depart thence also. So the majority of the people, because they didn't want to deal with the discomfort of staying put for the winter, dealing with the difficulties, dealing with the discomfort to the flesh, they said, no, let, let, let's move on. advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice. In other words, that's another port that actually would be more commodious, that would be more appropriate for the winter. And there to winter, which is in haven of Crete. This is in the island of Crete in the southern portion of the Mediterranean Sea. And lieth toward the southwest and the northwest. Now, there's confusion about that. Lots of debate about that. Here is the point. That place was more hospitable. And so you could stay in the place you're in that is uncomfortable, that has controversy or has some difficulty associated with it. Think about your life. Or you could take off and take a risk, take a chance of running into utter and complete, what? Devastation. <laughs> Devastation. This particular verse is so poignant, and it, it actually points out the classic risk-reward scenario. Stay put and endure and do nothing. Or take on risk that you've been advised not to take on, because it sounds so good at the time. You convince yourself. The odds are totally against you. But you know what? You convince yourself that the advice you've been given to stay put is wrong. You convince yourself that the grass is greener on the other side. You convince yourself that it's going to be worth it. Even though you've been advised on complete and utter destruction, you want to go anyway. Why? Because it's easier over there because I get more credit over there. I'm going to be more popular over there. I'll appear more accomplished over there. Classic risk reward. I'm not married, but I want to be. Don't do it. Don't do it. But I don't like the not being married, so being married matters more to me. So I'm going to do it even though I've been advised by good counsel, wise counsel, not to do it. I'm going to go for that job even though I'm, I'm on this one and it's not so hot. I'm not liking everything about it. God ain't told me to leave. I get some good counsel and they tell me don't do it. But there's always going to be somebody else. There's always going to be a mob in your life <laughs> to tell you, no, that doesn't apply to you. It's going to be all right. And guess what? That's the voice you really want to hear. You don't want to hear the voice that tells you, hang in there, stay put. No, no, no. You want to hear the voice that says, no, you deserve. Oh, no, it's worth it. No, this is no good. You want to hear the voice that tells you to move. Can you handle staying put is the question. Can you handle the difficulty for a season is the question I'm asking. Amen? Amen. We almost never heed the good counsel of those who tell us to hang on in there, stay put, stand pat, do nothing. When we're feeling, no, this is, doesn't feel good. I need to be over there. I need to do this. No, how about just do nothing, even when things are difficult? 
We always, when we have those two voices, almost always listen to the one that tells us ultimately what we want to hear, which is to do something when things are difficult. Very hard to do nothing. Very hard to stay put because staying put means you, you deal with, you endure the difficulty until you see your way through that season. But it's just a season. If you could see it as a season, you might be able to stay put. But you catastrophize and see it like it's going to be forever. It's a season. I just need you to hunker down for winter together here. But you just got to be there. And it's got to be now. Can you hunker down? Hang on in there for a season. I didn't say forever, for a season. Do you know how often we are our own mob in our minds? How we'll conspire together to move before you should move? Because you can't just hang in there for a season. This is good stuff. <laughs> a season, just a season, but you convince yourself like it's like it's forever. This is what we do to ourselves in our own heads. Amen? Amen? So now needless to say, they set sail. <laughs> but the results were absolutely disastrous. There was a typhoon. There was all sorts of uh, uh, wind blowing, and the boat was just bashed and thrashed all over the place. It was battered. It was leaking. They were have to empty, having to empty it. They had to throw the cargo overboard. They even threw their equipment overboard to try to lighten the ship. It was an utter disaster. They even had to take ropes and chains to put it around the hull of the ship to try to hold it together. Now, they could have stayed where they were and handled and huddled together and dealt with the season. I said a season, three months. And instead, they dealt with this. You ever had an utter and complete disaster in your life that you just insisted you just had to have something? You just had to go there. You just had to have him or had to have there and had to have it. And you could have hunkered down when spring was coming in your life. If you could have waited for it. But no, you had to have it now. Knowing the chances of success were slim, you convinced yourself to bet on black and to put all your chips in. What is wrong with you? But this is what we do this over and over in life. And you have people with wisdom and love, sitting on the shore, painfully watching you sail away into certain destruction when you could just hang on in there for a season. I said just a season. So it was utter disaster. By now, do you think that they figured out that they maybe sort of kind of should have listened <laughs> to Paul, the little runt guy that didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. He told you the truth. Right about now, they're just rocking and rolling. They can't eat, by the way, because it's just too much rocking and rolling. They're too busy throwing stuff over the side and bailing the water out and trying to survive. They should have listened. So let's go to verse 20. It says, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempests lay on us. What does it say after that? Okay. So they had a chance to hang out for a season, hunker down, deal with it. Do nothing, but they just had to do something, even though the odds were against them. And it's clear now, things are rough. He was right. And now, 
it says here, there is no sun and no stars. What does that mean at that time? You can't navigate, baby. It's disastrous. You're, you're, you're scared to lose your life. The ship, your ship is sinking. Your financial ship is sinking. Your, your, your career ship is sinking. Your, your relationship is, is sinking. Because of the choices that you made. And it's really bad, but it ain't so bad yet. It's even worse when you can't even see your way. If you keep going, you might be going in the wrong direction. You might run completely out of gas. Your cell phone might completely die. You have no idea. You can't even see your way. We talked about this, what was it, last week? About in the day you're going to stumble. And then the night when you need some help, some navigational help, that stupid, blind, false prophet that tells you what you want to hear, both of y'all falling in the ditch. So you're, you don't know where you are. You have no sun to tell you east to the west. I got it. Okay, so that's the sun. It rose. Ah, so there's the east. I know I'm trying to go north. So here's what I need to do. If that's the east, I need to go this way. I know that much. I know that much. I don't know where the land is, but I know my destination is that way. I can't see the sun. Well, oh, well the stars at night, I can say, okay, Orion is here. So I know the North Star. Okay, great. So I know I can at least navigate because that's how they navigated. They didn't have GPS. So you're all battered. And it, so can you have any hope? You, have, you don't know where you're going. This is what you call rock bottom, baby. This is rock bottom. There is no hope. So you went from, well, you know, it's difficult, challenging, not preferable, uncomfortable. Your flesh don't like it to hopeless. Rock bottom. You ever been there? You ever been at rock bottom in your career? You ever been at rock bottom financially? I guarantee you, while you were on your way to bottom, you can't hear. You won't listen. You got to be at rock bottom if you've been on drugs, whatever it is, rock bottom. The tempest can be raging. The storm can be raging. Let me just tell you, you ain't ready during that time. You still got plans. You still got ways. You still got tactics. You're not, you're not ready to fully, you can't hear that good counsel. Even though he was right. <laughs> so they have no sense of hope at this point. All hope. By the way, this is a narrative. You notice he said we and who's writing this? Not. Pay attention now. Who's writing this? He's writing this, he says, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved, that we should be saved, was taken away. Who's writing? He's talking in the narrative. He's describing it. This is Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and there's a point, I forget which chapter it is, I think it's about nine, where he starts, the book of Acts starts sounding like somebody that wrote it is talking about a scenario that's happening around them. So this is Luke that's with him, and Luke is writing this to you and to me for posterity. So he's saying, now there's no sun and no stars, you have no hope. You are lost. Now you really probably wish you had listened. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So he's at rock bottom, no hope. Sounds pretty bad. But rock bottom, for many of us, is the best thing that can happen to us. Rock bottom is the best thing that can happen to somebody who just insists on making bad decisions. You try to get them to make good decisions, but they just insist on it. Just remember in your life, that person 
they need to hit rock bottom. I'm trying to tell you, don't bother, don't waste your energy, don't waste your voice, don't waste your money, don't waste your time on them while the storm is raging. Because they still know too much. They're still smart. Their flesh, the, the odds have not completely, the wheel is still spinning on the roulette wheel. It's still possible, even though the thing is getting slow and it ain't nowhere near their number. They still can't hear you. Is it all right if I use some Vegas references? <laughs> Amen. We're talking about a long shot. It was a long shot. The man told you utter and complete and definitive disaster. I'm going to sail anyhow. <laughs> all right. Now, that, does it make any sense? Why would you do that? So rock bottom is, we know about this from Alcoholics Anonymous. We know about this from all the 12-step programs. Rock bottom is a good place. You need to hit bottom where you have every, has nowhere to look but up. You need to hit bottom where all your tricks, all your manipulations, all of your maneuvering, all of your aces in the hole, all of those have to be used up. You must be at bottom. Your way has to be completely done. Your way, your plans, your tactics, your friends, your backup, it's got to be exhausted before you can hear. So this is for those who wants to make those bad decisions. You just got to have it, and you got to have it now. You can't handle no discomfort, and you're going to have somebody telling you, oh, you deserve, oh, you deserve, oh, it'll be all right. Oh, God said this, and oh, God said that. Really? God agrees with everything I want. There's always going to be those people. They're going to be there in your life. And for you that have something to offer people in terms of good advice, because guess what? You've already been on the ocean after the day of atonement before. You already know. What can happen? And you live to tell about it. So you're trying to tell them, I already used up some of that. Good luck. I already used that good fortune. I, 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 let me just tell you, the chances, the fact that I'm here to tell you about it doesn't mean that you're going to make it out like I did. You don't see the battle scars. You don't see the battle wounds. You don't have the PTSD that I have for what I went through. Part of my therapy for my PTSD is to try to tell you, don't do it. I already have to claw my way back up from being down. I'm trying to tell you, hang on in there for a season and avoid this. 99 times out of 100, it won't matter. <laughs> They're going there anyway. Isn't that crazy? It's the craziest thing, and yet it is the truth. We have verse 21. Read it for me. But after long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have worked in Jerusalem and not have loosed from Jerusalem. Oh. Hmm. So, this is the part I like about the Bible. The Bible says it's okay to say I told you so. <laughs> so if I ever tell you I told you so, the Bible says I can. <laughs> now the truth is you try not to. You try not to. But I want you to notice the moment that he waited to say, okay, dear sirs, I'm just still a little, little runt preacher guy that told you not to go out there. Right. And I'm stuck. Listen to me now. I'm stuck on this ship. You go out there and you go to rock bottom and you go through all the tempest and the storm. Don't you know you take folks with you? Don't you know you affecting other people? Hang on in there for a while just so you don't jack somebody else's life up. So you don't have them losing sleep. So you don't have them worrying about you. But no, we get all caught up in what we want and what people tell us and what our flesh wants. And oh, yeah, no, I can make it. I'm a. You forget the odds. You start thinking it's 50-50 somehow. Mm 
And it's never 50-50 in those situations. So he waited for all hope to be lost before he opened his mouth again. And he said, dear sirs, I told you you should listen to me, man. I told you it was going to be like this. Before we lose from Crete, we never should have left. I know it was a bad place to winter. It was not a good spot. It was difficult. But just the season, you just need to survive that winter. Doesn't it seem applicable to life? Mm -mm 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 -mm. But here is the thing. While they were bailing the water out and wrapping the ship up and throwing stuff overboard, what was Paul doing? This is how you learn how to read the Bible. Study it. It doesn't tell you what Paul was doing. connecting with what would you what would you do <laughs> now listen now let's be practical you can pray because somebody else is bailing <laughs> okay if you're on a ship and you can bail the water out uh you might want to pray and bail okay <laughs> but just to say oh lord okay just no it, it's all right to bail the water out it's all right to throw stuff overboard and try to survive but while they're doing that paul is communing with god and so after he tells them, dear sirs, the same way he addressed them in the first place, where he's saying, you know, I told you so. You should have listened to me. Lesson number one. And so then he says, he doesn't leave it at that. He says, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Now I want you to pay attention now. The tempest is still raging. The problem hasn't been solved. Actually, there is no hope at this point. There's no stars. There's no sun. And he tells them, you know, you should have listened to me. But he's talking to them now at a point where somebody who's wrong, somebody who the grass was greener, somebody who went out and, and really destroyed their own lives despite good advice, this is the moment that they can hear you. Can't hear you no other time. They're desperate finally desperate enough they're now finally under enough water that they know they can't hold their breath that long finally oh they can hear you now but he told them you should have listened to me not to say I told you so he told them you should have listened to me hoping that guess what now you'll listen to me it wasn't about, I told you so. He said, you should have listened to me. I said it was going to be like this. Now it's like this. So the same guy that told you that, that was right. Will you now listen to me? Am I more than just a prisoner to you now? Am I somebody that might know a little something about the way things go after the Day of Atonement? Can you listen to me this time? Do I have any credibility with you? Was I looking out for your interests? Now, I hope you now see that I was. I hope you now see that I've been there, done that. I hope you now see that I wasn't just saying stuff. I wasn't fearful. I was being wise, loving, careful, thoughtful, and I want to survive. So he says, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer. There's no sun. There's no stars. The storm is still raging. He says, but I encourage you, be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. So things are dire, right? There's no hope. But I'm going to tell you, be of good cheer. And I'm going to tell you something completely contradictory. Guess what? There will be no loss of life, but the ship will be lost. Now, how is that working for you? <laughs> the ship will be lost. This thing that was your way of getting from where you should have stayed to where you want to go, that's going to be lost. That's going to be lost. Or you'll be saved. But that thing that you chose to use to get from hither to yonder when you shouldn't have gone, that's going to be lost. But how are we going to be saved? The ship is gone. It's water. It doesn't make any sense. 
you have to read, keep reading the story to see how that works out. <sighs> Verse 23. Read it for me. Read all the way to 25. Mm, I said I'll keep going, but I I just need to stop. Sorry. And I know I'm running out of time. So now you're listening to me, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be of good cheer. Here's why. Because you're not going to lose your life. The ship will be gone. Because, that's what four means, because there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am. I belong to God. Now that you're listening, now that I got your attention, can I first tell you, I belong to God. Can I secondly tell you, that's who I serve. I'm in jail. I'm a prisoner. Let me tell you, but I still know some stuff. But now that I have your attention, can I first tell you, not about the wind, not about the rains, not about the water, but the God that I serve, that I belong to. His angel, his messenger came to me in the night saying what? Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. Oh, I'm going to get there. That's why we talk about when they were on that ship and Jesus was sleeping and the wind started blowing and they got all upset. Wait a minute. I said we're going to the other side. Why are you fretting? I said we're going to the other side. I can't speak to there won't be any problems in the middle, but we're going to end up on the other side. We're going to get there. So he's saying, no, don't, don't, don't fret. We're going to get to the other side. This is what the angel told him fear not you are going to be before Caesar and lo God hath given thee all them that sail with thee so he was not just praying for himself when he talked to God he was caring about these same people listen to me now that wouldn't listen to him Oh, Lord, you know what? These knuckleheads, all them folks, the mob, let them die. Because they're the ones that got us into this. They just had to move. They just had to go. They couldn't stay put. They got all riled up. They wanted to go against the odds. But the ones who really didn't want to go get it, go, go with it, and they, and they had no choice, saved them. <laughs> the ones that actually would have listened to me saved them. No, he cared about all of them. The knuckleheads included. The hardheads included. So while you're doing your mess, while you're making your terrible decisions, somebody's sitting there praying for you, not against you, for you. So he said, you're going to Caesar. Don't worry about it. And God has given you all those folks in the boat with you. Read 25 for me. I love it. Mm. I hope you learned something right there. All these Christian folks talking about I believe God for this and I believe God for that. He says here, (laughs) Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Why? For I believe God. Period. Should have been. Because God told me something that I get to believe. Now, if you take a scripture out of context, like by his stripes we are healed, and a bunch of other ones, then you can claim I'm believing God, and then God's proven to be a liar when your funeral happens. If God told you you are never going to die because I took the stripes so no illness can take you down, then you tell that. I believe God that I'm never going to die. I get to stay in this miserable state. (laughs) (laughs) I believe God means I believe what God has told me. You can't believe God for something that you conjured up. You can hope that God agrees with you, but you can't believe God for stuff. And yet, this is the language that we use. I believe what God's messenger told me (laughs) as opposed to my circumstances. Faith 
is the substance of things hoped for, not the evidence of things not seen. I am believing God that he's going to give me what he said, which is what my hope is based on now, as opposed to what I see, which is no sun, which is no stars, which is a tempest still raging. I believe what God has said. Are we learning something here? I believe God. It's a beautiful thing. Now, the bad conditions persisted, by the way. There were more troubles to come. And while they're in this trouble, they're worried about actually running aground because they were sounding the ship in this many fathoms or this many feet, and now it's getting less and less, so they know they're coming closer to the shore, and they can actually see some land, but they, they actually they know that there's some rockiness underneath, and they're worried they're going to run aground. So what happens? The shipmen decide to bail, not bail the water, but bail. <laughs> they decided to abandon the ship. And they tried to do a sneaky, you know, how they were dropping the anchor so the boat wouldn't go any closer to shore. They're dropping all the anchors trying to keep it where it is until daylight comes because it's dark outside. They didn't know exactly all the conditions. And so these guys acted like they were dropping an anchor. They were dropping a lifeboat. And they were about to abandon the ship and leave all the folks with nobody to run the ship. That's what they're about to do. And that's where we come to verse 30. Read that for me. And as the shipmen were about to flee off the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under cover as though a great merchant cast anchor out of the ship. That is what I just told you, right? Mm -hmm. Now you see, I wasn't just saying that. Tell, read 31 for me. So, I'm a nobody. I'm just a runt little preacher. I've got some word for you. I've got some wisdom for you that nobody wants to listen to me. But I'm proven to be right. So now hopefully you can listen. And yet even though I said that my God, I believe God that none of you are going to die, somebody still didn't believe. <laughs> They had to find their own way. They want to find their own lifeboat, and they're willing to save themselves despite all the people dying. I'm a runt little preacher, but now somebody might be listening to me, and most importantly, this guy who's, I'm the prisoner, but the guy who's in charge of me, he's now listening to me. I get to tell him and his men what to do. They wouldn't listen to me. They listened to the person who owned the ship and who was running the ship. And now, because at least now they realize maybe I'm working with a little something. He tells the soldiers and the centurion, uh-uh, you can't let that happen. And what do they do? They don't ask questions. They didn't doubt him. At this point, they went right for it. They cut that rope, and that boat was gone. I hope you're learning something about Paul's experiences that influenced those writings that we hold so dear. Amen? Amen? So he now has some influence. And I don't know what God's going to have me do. I don't, he, he's still not on land yet. I we, we might cover that next time. It might be a to be continued. God will decide that. But he now has some influence. They're still not on shore yet. But you've learned, when you hear Paul writing those writings, he went through all of this. You now know why he was in prison. You have some idea so far how, what he went through on his way to prison. We think, oh, imprisonment? Oh, my God. This is what it was like trying to get there. You can know stuff. It don't mean people will listen to you. I believe God. So what have we learned today? We learned about these risk-reward moments in our life. You've had some. I've had some. Which voice are you going to listen to next time? You going to listen to the voice that tells you what you don't want to hear? Stay put. Hang on in there for a season. 
Are you going to rush, 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 rush? Got to have it now. Somebody else already got theirs. I want to have mine. If I don't get it now, I'll never get it. <laughs> rush, 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 rush. The odds are against me. I know a good counsel told me, but uh, I'm going anyway. <laughs> Secondly, can you handle doing nothing? Do you know how to do nothing? You need practice at doing nothing. I don't mean nothing when you should be doing something. I mean nothing when you want to do something. You're desperate to do something. You're anxious to do something. I mean doing nothing when you want to do something. That something will nearly always make the situation worse. You have to know when and how to do nothing for a season. Thirdly, what have we learned? We learned what it means to believe God. You don't believe God for something you conjured up. You don't believe God for something your flesh wants. You don't believe, you gotta, you don't believe somebody unless they told you something. How are you going to believe? I believe your thoughts. I have no idea what you're thinking. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe you until you tell me something. <laughs> to understand what it means to believe God. And believe God over your circumstances. Believe what God has said over your circumstances. Believe that God called you to it even though it don't seem to be thriving and growing at the moment, right? Believe that God said, this is, what, this is for you. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. Believe God. And lastly, I would say out of great difficulty comes great influence. You might be in a tough situation. You might be in an inhospitable situation. But guess what? In many cases, you're hanging on in there for a season results in your ability to have a meaningful impact. If you flee prematurely, if you're not where you need to be, you won't have that impact. So this is great difficulty. Now, in this particular case, Paul didn't control whether they left or not. But given the fact that they did leave, he had an opportunity to help these very people who would not listen to him. And without the difficulty, there would not have been the influence. Now, you don't want to ask for difficulty. Don't get that twisted. Don't leave here with that. You should try to avoid it. But if you find yourself in it, sometimes it's the vehicle for your influence. 